What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Sapira. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different, complete guy, which is the guy who walked the walkways of San Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around me, it was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... No, no, that's actually funny. That's funny. I'll tell you why. That's a good one, man. I'll tell you why. Because I'm going to tell you why. Because when I was in the Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I am Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nogueira. And today we're going to be talking about Eileen Warnos, one of the only female serial killers to exist, or, or maybe she's not a serial killer. We don't know. Well, you might know, so we're going to get into that. This is my question I've been meaning to ask you. So a lot of times it's become kind of a conventional wisdom or even kind of a joke that if someone really terrible goes to prison someone will say, Oh, I hope they get their ass kicked in prison or whatever. And I've said that. And sometimes I, I do mean it, but are we going to look back and think how primitive and weird that is like this advanced society where we have a, a system where we send people that we know it's highly possible. They'll be assaulted in any number of ways. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's kind of a good question, but kind of an awkward question, too, because, um, you know, there's always going to be Neanderthals in the world, and I consider myself a Neanderthal. Uh, so the progressive mindset is, of course, you don't want to send someone to prison and, and punish them by physically assaulting them. But look, I mean, some of these people, like these serial killers and guys that, you know, kill children and stuff like that, I'm sure a good portion of the population if they were if they were asked that in a quiet room when no one else was looking and there wasn't the whole filter of political correctness they'd probably tell you yeah we want them insulted or yeah we want them to be punished and yeah we want all these things but today's world where everybody seems to be a victim everybody seems to be a professional victim in that way you know we, we don't get really straight answers and that's part of the problem that i see going on with this stuff but look there are really bad people in the world and there are really good people. Sometimes bad things happen to them. They get put in prison because they're innocent. And of course, you don't want that people to suffer because they did nothing to, be, to get in that situation. That being said, look, uh, I've been around a lot of bad people. And I'm not talking about just serial killers because they're normally not around convicts. I'm talking about guys who are really bad people. Uh, they prey on other bad people. So, I mean, you would be right to say, hey, I wish that person something bad happens to him because no matter what situation he's in, he's going to find a victim. So it's it's not primitive. I don't believe it is. In a perfect society of intellectuals, sure, of course. You know, you're going to find people who are going to you know, put their nose in the air and say, yeah, you, know, you shouldn't be thinking that way. Or in 2,000 years, when we all look like coneheads, yeah, maybe that'd work. But today's world where 
humans are still animals. You know, we are the only animal that reasons, but we're still animals. I don't think you're too far off by saying that. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Death Row Diaries and Facebook at Death Row Diaries and listen to the show wherever you listen to it. Uh, don't forget to rate and review the show, particularly on Apple Podcasts. They have some kind of Orwellian thing going where the the ratings really matter. You could give us one star. It doesn't really matter what you think. Uh, it's just that you're actually taking the time to do it. So we do appreciate that. Anyway, on to the show. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but also we, we value the questions they have because I'm sure the listeners are probably going to say, well, you know, Matt's asking all these questions. What the hell, right? <laughs> Ask us questions. We'll definitely give you an answer. Otherwise, you're going to get questions like Matt just asked a few moments ago, okay? And if you guys are rolling your eyes, you know why. Yeah, my questions are a little more high concept than uh, probably is good for the ratings. So, Eileen, this is a, a sad story all around, and it starts off in an extremely horrific kind of white trash manner. Uh, her upbringing may have led her to be insane if if she wasn't already there's no way of telling but this is pretty nasty stuff right yeah she look i'm gonna i'm gonna start this off and preface everything by saying she is the exception to all the rules everything you've heard about serial killers she's the exception to the rules and there's a very good argument here extremely good argument that serial killers are actually made because of their circumstances because you could not find a worse situation than she had as a, as a child i mean everything from rape to uh, incest it's just a really bad situation however remember she's the exception to the rule and we're going to look into why she does ultimately and what she does and there are huge markers that illustrate that her childhood could have a huge bearing on what she did at the end of her life so apart from the obvious that she's a woman what makes her the exception i mean what's a major marker that we have for that okay well by definition a serial killer is a person that kills three or more people you know, separate individual things, and it's usually done because of sexual or psychological gratification. Women normally do not, and I'll repeat that, do not kill for psychological or sexual gratification. Most women that kill, and we define them, or at least some people define them as serial killers, it's because they kill several people and they do really bad things, but that's not what makes a serial killer. And... Most women, as I said, kill because for numerous of reasons, but some of the biggest reasons are for gain. Women are either black widows, they kill their mates, um, they are people, they call them the angels of death because they kill uh, in nursing homes or, or they do it for a, a specific reason. Most of the reasons are poison. I mean, most of the method is poisoning. And when they kill children, it's by asphyxiation. Well, this is a woman who does it completely different. Instead of doing it indoors in a work-related 
situation like most women who kill multiple times. She kills outdoors. And instead of using poison or suffocation, uh, she kills with a gun. So that alone sets her apart. Now, there have been many cases where women will be in the presence of a serial killer. There are their mate. You have a, uh, a numerous of cases of guys here on California's death row who were the, the guy was a serial killer, and their wife or girlfriend or mate or whatever you want to call her was with them during these murders. She was submissive to him. The sex, sexual gratification and the psychological gratification was for the male, not for the female. She was there as basically a submissive person involved. Warnos is different. And as I mentioned, she is the leader. She is the alpha. She is the one that's doing the killing. And she does so completely outside the realm of norm for women. So if someone were seeking vengeance, if someone had a hit list of people that they could prove had done them wrong, maybe stolen from them or killed a, a family member, would and they went around and killed all these people and checked them off of their list. But they had a legitimate grievance and it wasn't for gratification sexually, but just, you know, for, for, uh, to fulfill a void or something. Would that make them a serial killer? Like the Punisher comic book character? Is that guy a serial killer? No, no, absolutely not. The, the, the women that do it, there are women that are revenge killers and kill their lovers, but usually they run out of victims very quickly because you can't amass 40 or 50 uh, people have done you wrong normally. So there are women that kill for revenge, sure. But they are, they are by, by definition, remember I'm saying by definition, because the sexual and psychological gratification is what makes a serial killer. Women don't normally do that. You know, they're not out there, and every woman with high heels, they have to kill them because they have a, an issue with women with high heels, and it's based on all these different things. So in your question, no, a person with a list because of vengeance is not a serial killer. You know, they, they, yeah, they killed numerous people. In that sense, a hitman would be a serial killer, but he's not. He's a hitman. He kills for gain. He's doing it for money. This system sets apart people. And in the prison culture, white convicts hate serial killers and want to kill them and have a death warrant on every one of them. The rule is, if you see a serial killer and you're in this vicinity, kill him. Because it offends the normal criminal. And I know it sounds twisted, ladies and gentlemen. And I acknowledge that. I don't make the rules. I'm just telling you what the rules are. And that's what sets these serial killers in that realm because of the sexual and the psychological. They're these weird individuals that do weird things. This woman here falls in that category. We're going to get into that. But to answer your question, no. People hit by, killed by, uh, for vengeance are not serial killers. So let's talk about her upbringing and some of these things that really put her at a, a at risk for at least becoming a problem to society really early on. Yeah. So, yeah, so her mother, let's start with her mom, uh, Diane, and she was 14 when she married a 60-year-old uh, Leo Pittman. And before... Uh, Lee, that's what they call her, I mean, it's Lee, uh, she's born, um, her father is, uh, is no longer in the picture, he's in prison, uh, and to start with, her father's got a lot of issues, 
schizophrenia. Um, he's later convicted of sex crimes against children. Uh, and he commits suicide in prison in 1969 by hanging. So Lee Warno starts off really bad there. And her mother's really no better. At four, she abandons her with her parents, her grandparents, and her grandfather is a piece of work. I mean, he really is bad. Uh, he is molesting and raping a very young Lee Warnos. And, you know, she responds in a very unique way. By the age of 11, she's ex exchanging sexual favors for cigarettes, food, and drugs. And she's also in a relationship, a sexual relationship, an incestuous relationship with her brother. And she later admits that she was raped by her grandfather, and he beat her. And at age 14, she too, like her mother, becomes pregnant. The difference is that she is pregnant by her grandfather's accomplice. And he accomplished that by raping her. She gives birth to a child on March the 23rd, 1971, and that child is placed up for adoption. So just imagine that right there. I mean, those few years in her life, she's barely 14, and this has happened to her. Yeah, it might be the worst story we've heard so far. And my goodness, just she's immediately victimized. You know, she's born into this family of victimizers who, who themselves have been victimized, we presume. She's got to get out of there. I mean, she's got to get out of there by any means possible. Well, yeah, but look what she knows. She, she, she knows that... She knows that through sex she can accomplish some of her needs. And she's almost forced into the situation because at 15 years old, that same grandfather who has molested her, who has accomplished, has raped her and impregnated her, throws her out of the house at 15. Now, I don't know about you, Matt, but when I was 15 years old, you know, I was a knucklehead, but I was a boy, and I probably could have fended for myself a little bit. But at 15 years old, that means you're a sophomore in high school she's thrown out in the streets and she's a girl to boots. It's just, it, it's just a horrible situation. And she does the only thing she can. She fends for herself, but the anger is growing from that point. You can see it grow. I'm sure it was before that. Let me call back. So we'll see later after she is apprehended and charged with all these murders that there is a undeniable anger like a, a burning rage inside of her and she never apologizes for it. And, and I think that's why she's celebrated in a lot of circles is that she owned it, but also she had to have been angry. How could she not have been an angry person given what happened to her? No, no, you're absolutely you're right. And the, the reason she's celebrated and, and with good reason, in some circles is because her defense to her trial was that she was victimized not only as a child, but when she became a prostitute, a sex worker, men obviously, obviously beat her. They attempted to rape her uh, and they tried in some cases to kill her. So her defense was in fact that she was, a, it was self-defense. So I can see where some groups would, 
call that would be a cause for them to step up and try to defend a woman who obviously was in a bad situation. And of course, we could second guess and say, listen, she got out of that trip and she was being threatened. She should have gotten out of it. That's a lot easier said than done. And um, so this is the reason she was celebrated in some circles. So, but in terms of owning it, she never really owned it because she she gave an excuse. She said that she did it because she was assaulted with self-defense, but that's not really what happened. That's what she told everybody because it was the, it's the perfect excuse to do something. Um, but we have to look at her criminal background to start understanding the type of anger that she has. Not that it wasn't well-founded because of what happened to her as a child. You can see how a child's mind, without the coping mechanisms to basically cope, started acting out. We see this numerous times happening with very young adolescents that they respond to situations by acting out. So, but her criminal history doesn't start off really fast. It starts off rather slow and very immature things that immature kids do. For example, driving under the influence, disorderly conduct. She fires a 22 from a moving car. Um, and then at age 20, she marries a 69-year-old guy who's the Yacht Club president. Um, and there's a lot of talk that he attempted to, uh, you know, assault her, but she, she threw him to the ground. Um, she beats him with his own cane. He files a restraining order against her. Um, then she's arrested for throwing a cue ball at a bartender's head. There's all this anger and you can see it where she's, she doesn't know how to cope with this. So she acts out. Uh, by 1981, she's arrested for armed robbery of a store, but it's, it's for $35 and two packs of cigarettes. 1982, um, you know, she gets out of prison for, for the armed robbery, and she's arrested for forging checks. And then she, in, in a few years after that, she steals a gun and ammunition. And it just progresses like this. She's arrested for car theft, resisting arrest, obstruction of justice, She's found with the box of ammunition for a 38 uh, pistol. Um, so it's, it's these little these crimes that seem to be progressing, but they all seem to have this one underlying factor, which is anger. Um, she pulls a gun on a guy that she knows and demands $200 from him, and she's arrested for that. So it looks like she's doing these little crimes. She's a sex worker, but she's not committed any major crime yet. That will get her obviously the death penalty but it's, it's coming and it seems to be growing um and as we see where she's also i believe very confused she's having sex with these men for money because she needs the money she was raped several times and then she ends up in a relationship with another woman that she meets at a bar and that woman's name is uh Taria moore and they move in together and basically, Lee starts turning into the provider for this small Maple Leaf family. Right. Yeah. I, I, her. So she can't trust men. We know that, nor should she. I always I wonder if the Yacht Club president, Lewis Fell, that she married at age 20, if he abused her at all, or maybe he was just a passive guy, but she just wasn't equipped to handle that. 
you know, I, I wonder what that relationship was like. Yeah, that, that, that would be very interesting. But from what we know of her and these, um, we know how relationships are. There's always two stories, two sides of the story. Maybe he said something to her. Maybe he pushed her buttons. Maybe he tried to assault her. But her response is normally what it always has been. She responds with violence. Uh, but he does, in fact, file a restraining order against her. And she's out of that relationship. They're no longer together. So it's hard to tell what really happened. Um, it looks from it looks like from all accounts that she was the aggressor. Um, but, of course, she's a woman. The guy's a man. He is nearly 70 years old. So you kind of wonder what really happened there. Was it her? Was it him? I guess we'll never know because she has since then been executed. And Mr. Fell is no longer with us. But, yeah. Um, it's you know she she meets this young lady and by November the 30th 1989 things change very quickly for Lee Warnos and this is where we we really want to pay close attention because this first one is a very big indication to possibly why everything starts to happen so she's get, she gets picked up by a guy named Richard Mallory he's 51 years old he is, now repeat, he is, not alleged, he is a convicted sex offender. And when he picks her up, according to Lee, he brutalizes her. He beats her, he rapes her, he sodomizes her, um, he punches her in the face. He, he does a lot of damage to her. And her response was, in self-defense, according to her, to shoot him. And they find him, you know, 14 days later, shot to death. And that's where this whole thing begins. Um, you know, it's almost hard to imagine that a guy who's a sex offender and predator wouldn't try to do the same thing to this young woman at the time. So I guess the first one, I would give it to her. I believe that she was, in fact, assaulted, brutalized, and raped by this guy. And I believe that her life may have been in danger, and she responded by killing this man. I, I believe that. What do you think about that? I would give her the benefit of the doubt. She does claim in in a really sensational and in graphic detail, the, the way that he assaulted her and raped her. And, you know, it involved like, like spraying, rubbing alcohol into the wounds and stuff like really crazy stuff. And then she later kind of recounted it and said that she just made it up, uh, because it would get her a lot of sympathy and attention. But yeah, I mean, the guy's, got a record and she's the kind of prostitute that she is she's especially vulnerable to these kinds of guys you know according to, to in her own words she's like a truck stop prostitute so she's getting picked up by you know guys that are there, there's no service there's no uh, there's no record of these transactions or anything, you know, she's, I mean, she is of a vulnerable group 
al already kind of like the most vulnerable of sex workers, right? She is, and we know from, from prior serial killers that they are the, the women who are mostly targeted by serial killers. They're a population of our, of our society who are looked upon sometimes with unfavorable eyes. And law enforcement, as we've also mentioned and looked at closely, pay little attention to them. Um, so yeah, she's definitely, uh, I give her the benefit of the doubt in the first one. Well, because I also uh, but, think that the a lot of these guys, given that they're picking up these truck stop prostitutes, you know, I think prostitution should be legal. I also think it's a creepy kind of weird thing to do. You know, you could make a case that these guys just by engaging with this kind of sex worker are kind of victimizers by default. Yeah. And I agree. Yeah, definitely. These guys aren't the cream of the crop and Look, a lot of truck drivers, a lot of guys on these open highways late at night, they have a young woman in the car, don't feel that maybe they have to pay them, or they feel they can get away with whatever they want to because no one's going to believe them. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. And this is a bad situation. Even for a guy, this would be a terrible situation to be somewhere in a car on a dark desert highway and something like this happen. I didn't mean to quote Hotel California there, but, you know, the Eagles were playing on my head, so there you go. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe that one was uh, self-defense, but she'll eventually her case will be that a pretty substantial number of victims were all self-defense, and that kind of strains the credulity, doesn't it? Any person who's in a traumatic situation, you would think would have the ability to not do it anymore. There's a problem there because we have to look at the bigger picture, which is, oh, she's always been controlled. She's always been assaulted. Maybe she almost is that victim that can't help herself because, you know, we see it in people that kidnap uh, women or men. After a long time, they have the opportunity to escape and they don't. There, there's a mechanism built into them that they basically train to go back to that same lifestyle. We can look at it that way. However, she does strike again. It takes her six months to get things going again. But her next victim is David Spears. He's a 47-year-old construction worker. And his naked body is found along U.S. Route 19 in Florida. And he is shot 20, I'm sorry, he's shot six times with 22. And that's a bit of overkill. And, and it begins to lend an eye to what is really going on with her, which we'll definitely get to. But um, it, it, it's... Five days later, and she starts again. A gentleman by the name, I don't know if it's a gentleman, but Charles, uh, I'm going to screw this guy's name up. It's Carcassin or Carcassin, whatever it is. He's 40. He's a rodeo worker. June 6, 1990. He's found in Pasco County, shot nine times. Um, his body's found in an electrical blanket, and she stole his car. And, um, she took his gun, his gun and pawned it. So you see, it's speeding up. Um, another guy. We don't know because the body was never found. But Peter Symes, 65, he's a retired merchant seaman. Um, Lee and her girlfriend are seen abandoning his car. So this guy is never found. And his, her girlfriend, 
and her are found or seen abandoning his car. And later on, Lee's palm print is found on the car. So obviously, she or they killed this guy, but he's never found. It's, you know, August the 4th, 1990, she strikes again. Troy Burris, he's 15. He's a a sausage salesman. I don't know how that plays out, but he's a sausage salesman. And his body's found in a wooded area um, along State uh, Highway 19 in Marion County. He's shot twice and killed. Um, Let me call back, man. Yeah, so this guy, the next guy, it's really hard to put this guy in the same category as the other men. Not to say that this guy was worth more or any of those things, but his name is um, Charles Humphreys. He's 56 years old. He's a U.S. He's a retired U.S. Air Force major. He's a former chief of police. He's also a child abuse investigator. And his body is found uh, fully clothed, shot six times in the head and torso. Uh, you know, I have a hard time believing that this guy, you know, abused her or tried to get over on her or whatever she says she did. Can that happen? Yeah, absolutely. Look, there's a lot of bad people in, in armed forces and in, in law enforcement, but it's hard to see if this guy's also a child abuse investigator. But then again, I mean, I'm sure that people are going to play devil's advocate and say, well, hell, he was picking up a raw prostitute too, wasn't he? So it lends to a big question mark there. So anyways, only one more person. It's, it's a Walter Antoni, 62, he's a security guard, and again, a reserve police officer. And his, his naked body is found near a logging road on November the 19th. So she, Lee is, she has six people on this list of killing. And, um, you know, it's possible she killed more and they were never found. Um, but this is not about money. This is not about gain. I believe that the reason she killed and why she is a serial killer, actually the only one that I've ever come across, is because her motive for killing is about psychological gratification. All the men that she killed by gun was about control. The first one, I'm sure that he probably tried something on her. But once she killed him, she felt and she got that gratification of controlling the person that she believed was a threat to her. Over time, because she did have mental issues, schizophrenia being one of them, paranoid delusion being another one. I believe that that progressed in her mind where she saw all men as perpetrators of abuse for her. So she felt justified killing them, but she also felt the rage that she had to control them. What got her off, what made her what she was, was the control factor just before she killed them. She had the ability to control these men fully with a gun, make them do exactly what she wanted, and then at the climax of this moment for her, she shot them. Shooting them with that gun is the equivalent of a man serial killer climaxing. That was her climax. The 
complete control and ultimately of removing that person from the face of the earth by killing them was the ultimate psychological gratification based on control. I have a theory, and it's it's just a theory. I'm not saying I'm right, but she is kind of trapped here. She has no education, and these mental issues are kind of rearing their heads. And I think that Eileen Warnos was actually a bright person. I think if she had just got some treatment and, and had certain drugs, she would have been a a functional member of society, you know, with the right steps. But clearly we see a switch is flipped around the time that she has the incident with the first victim, Charles Mallory. Now, the symptoms of schizophrenia start to become apparent in in people. But my theory is that she gets into this relationship with Tyria Moore, who starts basically acting as a pimp. And I think maybe part of this this switch that was flipped was she already couldn't trust men. She figures, I'll be in a relationship with this woman. And the woman victimizes her kind of the same way as the men had. So now I feel like she can't trust anyone and she feels like she has no way out at all. That's my theory. That's a valid theory. Um, but this is, like I said, this is the exception of the rule, and this is a clear case where the psychological, in my opinion, the psychological gratification comes from her childhood. This is something that grew in her over time, not trusting men, not trusting family, not trusting anyone, and the abuse that she was receiving, the punishment. So we have to look at this in a sense of there's an action and there's a punishment behind that action. She was involved in these relationships. She couldn't help when she was being abused and she was a victim and the consequences were the pregnancy, the beatings and all this stuff. So she's in her mind, as I said, she had serious psychological problems and mental issues. And schizophrenia, I believe is one of them because at the end of her life, she is talking about poisoning her food that they're watching her. These are all classic signs of schizophrenia. I've seen it a number of times materialize on the guys on death row here. There's a couple guys on the tier here that will not eat the food that is provided by the state of California because they believe that they're being poisoned. And it's, it's just paranoid schizophrenia. It's rearing its ugly head. She had this. And I mean, let's, let's look at what she says. So she is, you know, she's very, at first, it's always about, you know, the self-defense. But once she loses her appeals, she says, and I quote her, I killed those men, robbed them as cold as ice, and I do it again, too. There's no chance in keeping me alive or anything because I do it again. I have hate crawling through my system. I'm so sick of hearing these so, she's so crazy stuff. I've been evaluated so many times. I'm competent, safe, and I'm trying to tell the truth. I'm the one that hates human life and would kill again. These are her words. So it's really hard to tell with this woman fact from fiction. Is she playing up for the cameras because she's having a lot of attention thrown her away? There have been numerous books written about her, numerous films. There's been documentaries. One is called American Boogie Woman. There have been television shows of overkill, law and order, criminal minds, American horror story, catching killers, all based on her. Because she is, by definition, the only serial killer we've seen that's a woman. 
Well, do you think there's anything else going on psychologically that could contribute to this or explain it? Yeah, there, there's a few things that really come to mind. And that's something based on evolutionary psychology. Before you roll your eyes, hear me out this. Okay, so it, it boils down to, at least in my theory, that women are, their interest in their primal sense is about reproductive self-interest. Uh, women have very limited eggs, so they benefit from long-term relations with, with guys that support them. Um, they need a stable partner, and so they're always looking for gain. Men with in, you know infinite number of you know sperm, they look for multiple partner, multiple men. The translation of this is: women kill to gain resources, men to secure mates. Of course, this is twisted because if you kill your potential mate or your partners, you defeat the purpose. But we also know very clearly that serial killers have serious psychological issues and they get it twisted along the way. And um, so therefore, since women were gatherers in their primal sense and men were naturally the hunters, they're the ones you see that hunt. That's why men are the serial killers. They hunt outside. They look for different women. They, they continue to kill. Them. It's, it's just like evolutionary primal instinct that they have. And since serial killers are primal, this is what we're talking about. But Lee Warnos, she's the exception because she's out hunting. She is taking the job of men. She is hunting victims. And then you have to start thinking about her as being a lesbian. Then, if she's in fact that's what she is. If she is, she may potentially already be in that mind frame of hunting, being the provider. So a lot of things that take place there that it's hard to really pinpoint because I don't know her personally and I've never interviewed her, but I would probably would have liked to. Yeah, so she's just out with her girlfriend slash pimp, and it's basically nihilism at this point i wouldn't say she wants to get caught but they're just they're out of time they're just cruising around in a stolen car going to biker bars getting drunk and uh i I would suffice to say she doesn't have a plan is that about fair yeah she exactly she does not have any type of plan whatsoever and it's just free for all and that's basically what gets her caught. It's not just her. It's the, her, her mate or her you know, roommate or you know, her lover. Uh, but she's arrested in Philadelphia, and Warnos is arrested on different warrants, not for murder. And that's where things get really bad for her because um, the young woman that she's with turns a deal. When they bring her in, she ad- she admits that she knows this woman's doing this and she can get her to confess. So they basically set up a, a sting operation where her mate basically gets on the phone when, when he calls her from jail and she just tells her, come clean, tell me. And because I guess Lee is kind of in love with this girl, and at the end of her life she does say that, she says that she... Um, 
she's only loved one person, and it was that young woman. Um, but yeah, she, she, she basically betrayed her. She, she snitched her off. And Lee confesses to everything, um, including all the murder, seven murders and other things she had done. And it basically gets um, her lover off scot-free, and she's the one that testified against her during her trial and basically put the nail in her coffin. Yeah, this her partner Moore is an underrated villain in this story, in my opinion. Do you think that Warnos at this point wanted to keep going? I, I just I keep thinking of her as being trapped, kind of since she was born, and then she was trapped in this prostitution cycle, and then after she committed a bunch of murders, she is very much trapped. She's there's no way out. So do do you think she wanted to keep going or do you think she just wanted to kind of, I think she wanted to tell her story to a degree. Well, I mean, that would be true. Maybe she wanted to put a face next to but I don't think so. I, I, I think she was trapped in the sense that it was a cycle for her. She couldn't get out of that cycle. But as I mentioned before, what motivated her was the control factor, the psychological gratification. And like most serial killers, she would have hit again or struck again, or killed again. There's no doubt in my mind that had they not arrested her, there'd be a, a long list of other names on that list, and she would have been responsible for them. She couldn't help it. This is, this is, this is a primal call for serial killers. She may be the first one that I've seen it, that's a woman that did it, but she was definitely a serial killer. And um, she would have kept going mad. There's no doubt in my mind that control had her. She loved that. That's the whole, that's what got it. That's what got her off. That was it for her. That was her signature. That was it. Yeah. So she's apprehended. And I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, as she's apprehended, it becomes pretty apparent that she has symptoms of schizophrenia. Like you touched on, she thought that she was being poisoned. She thought that her TV was bugged to spy on her, which is a very common symptom of people with schizophrenia, how it manifests itself. Um, and she's unapologetic, but I wanted to ask you, we've seen people who are unapologetic, maybe taunt the victims, but have you seen a serial killer apprehended that exhibits these symptoms so strongly when she's talking she her eyes are kind of bugging out of her head. She's gesticulating wildly. She jumps around a little bit from thought to thought, but she's really looking at the camera at the interviewer like, please understand what's inside my head. But at the same time, what's coming out of her mouth is frankly pretty crazy half the time. But so have, have you seen someone apprehended that's that looks like a stereotypical crazy person as, as much as she does. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not law enforcement, so I've never been there when they apprehend it. <laughs> the serial killers, I've got to know the serial killers after they're convicted and they're on death row. Um, no, I have not met another male serial killer that exhibits that. Yeah. They're usually kind of laid back and I don't know, detached. She's very engaged with her crimes still. Yeah, I think she has 
as I said, she was very young when these things happened to her um, as a child and being abused and raped. I think she doesn't have the tools to express herself. I don't believe she knows how to express herself. And she doesn't have control of her, her bodily, uh, the manifestations that happen in her eyes or in her face. Um, those are cues that kids usually learn very well on, very early on by being around peers and other people. And they learn behavioral, uh, I guess, behavioral sciences. And they know how to behave in normal situations and even not so normal situations by examples of what they've seen. She clearly did not have a lot of friends. She did not interact with a lot of kids her age. Most of the time, the kids that she interacted with were boys who were paying her lunch money or giving her cigarettes or drugs, uh, drugs if she would show them her breasts or they got to fondle her. So she never had those kind of interactive relationships with people that would engage her in a manner which she would know how to act in front of other people. And I think that's what you're seeing right there. Yeah, you know, painted with schizophrenia and all this stuff, but that's what you're seeing there. As a person who doesn't know how really to act in front of a, you know, in prison they say that, they, it's a joke in prison, they say, um, I'm sure people that are listening who were in prison or are in prison, uh, would say, yeah, we've heard that. And it's this, a guy's about to get out after 10, 15, 20 years and he tells his buddy, man, I don't even know how to act out there. And that's, classic because you've been locked up so long that you don't know the behavioral cues on how to act out there so i guess it expresses itself yeah, in hostility yeah she over exaggerates the uh, her emotions her eyes she over exaggerates everything because she doesn't know these control cues she doesn't know how to act in front of people where it would be normal behavior so I think that's what you're seeing right there. Um, but interestingly enough, it's almost like she's trying to inflict a bit of fear in people as she talks and sympathy at the same time. It's, it's interesting. Um, I've read um, a couple of, uh, I actually read a book about her as well. It was interesting because if you look at her crimes, control was the big, the big fix for her. That control was manifested through fear. These guys are afraid of her. At the very end, she was no longer the victim that she has been her whole life. So she becomes the brutalizer. She becomes the the person that she's always hated because she was the victim. So how does she do that? She controls them. How does she control them? With fear that they're going to die. And it's almost like she does that for the camera. Bit. She tries to uh, manipulate, but she's not very successful because it comes off, as you mentioned, kind of crazy, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and she starts telling different stories. And so she also comes off as kind of not credible. Uh, you know, at one point she does kind of say what we had suspected, which is that the first um, person victimized her. It wasn't as brutal as she said. And the others, you know, I guess you could perceive it as an aggression on their part, but but not really. She just kind of wanted to kill them. Yeah, well, I mean, remember, we, we're dealing with a person that's mentally ill, and as, you know, maybe not be as, as severe as you would think, but it's, it's there. And she may be in, misinterpreting what people are doing. 
that the guy brutalized her. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's good evidence that he may have. Uh, but it depends on how she responds to the other ones as well. So, so she could have seen things that weren't there. You know, they always say every story has a different side. Well, um, we can't ask the other people who were in that car with her because they obviously were her victims. But, um, yeah, with her, she's a, she's a can of worms. And when you, once you open it, there's just questions after questions after questions. And she's going to be the subject of, of a lot of psychological profiles for, for the very near future or extended future because of what she did and what she represents in that particular mind frame of serial killers. Um, but ultimately, she did meet her face. She was executed. And... Um, I mean, you would know more about what happened at the execution, but she—it uh, wasn't very—it uh, wasn't very nice. She um, she didn't die and just go away because the public has been so interested in her for so many years. Yeah, she she kept berating the authorities toward the end. Um, her, yeah, the theory she was working on at the end was that the authorities allowed her to keep killing because they wanted the attention of having arrested a serial killer. So the more murders she had, the more clout they would get. Uh, doesn't seem especially realistic. She declined her last meal. This is in October of 2002. She's uh, imprisoned on death row in Florida. And her last words were, yes, I would just like to say I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like independence day with Jesus June 6th, like the movie, big mothership and all, I'll be back, I'll be back. And she was executed at 9.47 a.m., the 10th woman in the United States to be executed since the Supreme Court decision in 1976. So, yeah, I think that from a mental health aspect, there is so much to be learned from her case. I mean, do you think it's possible that genetically she did not have a marker for schizophrenia and that just due to circumstances that are nearly unheard of, un unrecorded, certainly not studied, that it just took its toll on her brain. Well, that's really possible. And although I play a psychologist on podcast, I'm not really a psychologist. So that would be outside my realm, but I would like, and I'm sure people would like to, take a look at her brain after execution to really see what it was that was going on there. But that's going to be a mystery that's going to be ongoing on for a very long time. Um, yeah, she's a very unique case and, and the perfect case study for this kind of stuff. I guess the scary part is that is, um, you know, we're going to see this happen more and more. There's going to be more women that become serial killers. It's just a matter of time if they're not already out there doing what Warnos is doing, except they're a little smarter and they know how to get away with it. As I've mentioned before, more than 600,000 people a year disappear every year in the United States. No one hears from them again. Could there be a woman serial killer working the highways, working the streets, picking up men who see a vulnerable, beautiful woman? Maybe they're not, they don't look like Lee Warnos, they're actually beautiful. Is it possible? The answer is yes. And let's hope that her words don't come true where she says, I'll be back. That would be one hell of a movie, huh? A woman serial killer comes up and she says she's the reincarnation of Lee Warnos and she's come back because, you know, that's the way it was said. I mean, given the criteria of 
the death penalty do you think she should have been executed just because of like uh, the circumstances of I mean I know there was a trial and it was proved that she was a murderer so I guess not but I guess there's no room for sympathy when you've done the crimes yeah, that's a good question. You know, I've talked about the death penalty before and how it doesn't work, at least in California, because of all the the red tape. Even the death penalty, you're basically getting lawyers, you get this whole team or anything. So, but in Florida, they actually execute people not too much long after they're convicted. They go through an appeal process. So then it becomes, a, I guess, a question of right and wrong. Should we as human beings, and as you mentioned at the beginning of this episode, should we be higher a higher person, a person of higher intellect, that we don't execute people. Honestly, that's a question for people that are probably a lot smarter than I am, probably have a better perspective than I do on it. But my perspective is really based on, you know, this death penalty work in California and have, have the politicians basically fake that all the taxpayers and pay millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to get it to work, but it doesn't really work. So, yeah, that's a good question. Florida is a different beast, and she did commit the crimes. She did admit to the crimes, and there were seven of them. So at some point, is uh, a life sentence as good as a death penalty? In a lot of cases, probably yes. The serial cases, at least from the men that I've met, the one that we've talked about, no. I believe personally they should be executed, or at least taken out in the back of the courthouse and taken care of, because when you once you kill a child, or you, you're one of those serial killers you know my position on that yeah it just occurred to me i could almost see keeping her around on a on a life without parole sentence just because she's the only one of her and so why not try and gain something from her psychological profile i don't know kind of like um studying a a endangered animal or, or anyway she's gone it's a sad story and that's it for this episode of Death Row Diaries. I've been Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nogueira. Always be aware of your surroundings. Your life may depend on it. And we'll see you next time.